All right, everybody, welcome to a special edition of Life Leadership and the Pursuit of Greatness podcast. I'm your host, Tim Lovell, along with my co-host, Dwayne Mathis. We're joined by a special guest today, uh, head football coach of Grand Valley State. Uh, Matt Mitchell is going to be joining us. We're going to say hi to him in just a minute, but uh, my co-host, brother from another mother. What's up, Dwayne? How are you, brother? Oh, not too bad. Uh, it's a scorcher out there today. Uh, spent uh, the last couple hours at the beach uh, with the with the kids, and uh, I'm not a beach guy, Tim. So the things we do for our families, right? It's all family first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, uh, our distinguished guest, who's making time out of his busy schedule to spend time with us, Coach Mitchell from Grand Valley State. How are you, brother? Good. Thanks for having me on, Tim Dwayne. This is an awesome opportunity. I appreciate the uh, the, the chance to catch up with you guys. Yeah, we're really honored. Just for you listeners, uh, Mitch and I go way back uh, to our time at Cornell in the mid-90s, part of a conference championship team. Mitch was a part of the undefeated team in 1992, and then 95 won a conference championship again. He bookended his career. I wasn't as fortunate, uh, but we played on defense for Coach Steve Miller, who was on our podcast earlier. Uh, and Mitch has quite a quite a story to talk about, and so we're going to let him talk about how he got to where he is now, and then we've got some leadership things that we really need to dive into, and he's going to be a great asset for that. So, uh, that being said, uh, Coach Mitchell, tell us your uh, tell us your story, man. How'd you get to GVSU? Sure, grew up in Colorado. Um, wasn't a great football player, but I loved it. Um, and uh, the Division three is my route. There's not a lot of Division threes in Colorado, and so struck out to Iowa. You know, I took a I took a visit to a number of schools, Central, um, you know, Co. And then, you know, I, and to be honest with you, I had a, a great overnight visit with a guy named Chad Zabo, um, and that relationship. And I tell you, um, they, they wrote me more notes than any other coaching staff between Steve Miller, Ray Riesland, the guys, you know, cared. And I went there and I had an awesome experience. And when I got done, I was very passionate about, you know, football, but my route was through, um, you know, high school education. So I was very fortunate to get a position at Iowa City, Regina High School teaching chemistry and physics. And, um, you know, my first couple of years, really cut my teaching teeth and coaching. I was doing a, assistant football. In the winters, I was doing junior high wrestling and assistant basketball. I was doing uh, junior high girls track. I told my guys on, on football staff, I'm like, you think football's hard, do junior high girls track and run that show. And then, um, you know, in Iowa, I was doing baseball uh, because baseball was in the summer. And so, you know, probably a way too young age, I took over as the head coach at uh, Regina um, and, and was the head coach there two years and then had an opportunity. I took a you know massive pay cut. Luckily, I was single with no kids to go to Warburg College. Um, and one of my really first big mentors, you know, uh, besides guys who play at college was Rick Willis, head coach at, at Warburg. He's won a ton of games. Um, a great, great. And I went there on peanuts, worked myself into full time, ended up being the defensive coordinator. And then Rick Willis knew Chuck Barton. So trying to keep it brief, but Brian Kelly, the head coach at University of Notre Dame was the uh, head coach out at Grand Valley for 13 years. He departs to go to Central Michigan. And I get hired on by uh, Chuck Martin because of professional recommendation from Rick Willis. And I came in to Grand Valley as a linebacker coach and then uh, moved my way in the defensive coordinator. And during the time I was here with Chuck, won a lot of games. I was here six years as in, with him as a DC. And then Brian Kelly gone from Central Michigan to Cincinnati, just got hired in Notre Dame. And so he calls up my head coach and says, come down. And then uh, fortunate, we went to the national championship that year. Tim and Dwayne and, and uh, I took over as a head coach. So I've been here uh, next year, will be my 17th year, which is just wild. In college football, 10 years as a head coach at Grand Valley State, um, you know, and I think this journey, there, there's been some highs and some lows, but I think one something that's consistently happened. And that's why I love being on your guys podcast. I think leadership is such leadership and culture are such important topics. Um, everyone's talking about schemes and talent, but these these really shape shape teams. And 
that's that's my deal. And I, I love it. I live it. It's a very important part of me as a coach. And it's really critical at this time, you know, in our country. And, and it's really critical for the guys on my team. I mean, about 60, we have about 125 guys on the team. And, and you know, about 70, 70 of those guys are African-American males. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things going on nationally and a lot of images on TV. And so I, I think like elite leadership is really needed in these times. And, uh, but, you know, I love Grand Valley. It's uh, high expectations. Um, we've led the nation attendance the last nine years. And, um, you know, championship runs are the expectation, but that's cool. Um, you know, I, my internal expectations are really high. And I think it starts with, you know, the leadership and the, and the people I hire and bring into this building. So, Coach, uh, I, I think, you know, obviously from talking and hearing your, uh, where you came from, I could tell probably Steve Miller had a, a big influence on you as well as Ray Reed. Uh, but who were some of your other influencers that had, you know, that obviously led to your position um, at GV and, and, you know, just love to hear that. Yeah. You know, my experience, I spent four years with it, with Rick Willis at Warburg College. And that was really, um, that that's where I cut my teeth, learned how to coach <clears throat> and how to lead and, and a lot of things. He's a very detail oriented person. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, a little bit early on my coaching career, I, I relied on intellect and kind of flying by the seat of my pants at times and some bravado. And I think Rick kind of taught you about organization and uh, the detail and some of those things that are expected. And then, um, you know, I, I came out here with uh, Chuck Martin and Chuck is now the head coach of Miami, Ohio. They just won the MAC championship and I was an assistant for Chuck for six years, you know, and I think the biggest thing, you know, learn from Chuck is just um, unbridled passion, enthusiasm, um, the effectiveness of the passion and energy. And it, it doesn't have to be fake. It doesn't have to be circus clown show passion. You can have some deep passion and some intensity. And, um, you know, I think kids and people around feel that. And I think they want to follow it if, if the intentions are, are right and the character is right behind that. But he was a super, super passionate person. And that was a guy that, man, when you, when you got him in a home visit, it was a wrap. <clears throat> um, he was he was so passionate in the way he came across was that. And, and the players, um, players, you know, loved him for that. And, and so I had, it was kind of interesting because I had a little bit of two distinct styles. And I'm not saying, you know, I, I tell guys a lot of times, there's multiple ways to skin a cat. You know, game of football, there's guys like Mike Leach wins game throwing it around. And there's, you know, Kenny Matal at Navy. They, they don't. And so, you know, I don't know. Sometimes, you know, you got to find the style that fits you. And I self-admittedly, you know, my, my first few years as a head coach of Grand Valley on a pretty big stage, I had to I had to find my voice, my identity and, and, and my role as a leader. And you can't even though you work for some great guys. I mean, you know, Chuck Martin's going to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, you, you, I'm not him. And it took me a while to realize I got to run my program that's genuine, authentic to me. And uh, that's probably something I, you know, learned there. And I would say the other thing too, like being straight up honest, I was City Regina four years there. I had to figure some stuff out on my own. Um, <laughs> I didn't have any great, I mean, I got thrust into being a head coach like at 23, 24. And um, man, sometimes being in that cauldron, that fire, um, that shapes some of your stuff too. And so I don't discount those experiences. I think mentors are really important along the way, but sometimes you want to find out about yourself. You know, you got to put yourself out there. Sometimes you got to do it and, um, you know, not, not, not always, you know, work under somebody, but, you know, put it out there and you, you'll, you'll figure out real quick what your value system is and you'll figure out really quick what, what your beliefs are. 
So it's pretty unusual for us to have a, a person like yourself on as a guest in the sense of someone who has reached a pretty high level, but has also has experience cutting his teeth and at the high school level, like you said. So, I mean, I'm just curious, you know, if you go a little deeper, how how impactful do you think that experience at Regina was for you? I mean, it seems like it was maybe a little baptism by fire. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. And I think, you know, what I learned at Regina was, um, you know, I, I learned a lot about myself. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, I, I think the other things I probably probably found out a lot about um, at Regina was my passion for coaching football. And that's that's what allowed me to take a, a pay cut and a leap of faith at basically an intern position at a Division three school. And, um, you know, when I was at Regina, <clears throat> I think you find at schools, um, the high school level, and I've kind of carried this with me. Um, you know, as a college coach, every kid that's in my program, that's somebody's son. And I think sometimes you, you can lose sight of that a little bit, um, being at a college coach. My experience is Regina because at, at Regina High School, I know different high schools are different, but the parents are, are very passionate and they're very involved. And there's some there's some pros and cons to that. I'll be straight up real. Like there's a lot of support, you know, but sometimes there, there can be some criticism. There can be some people you know, really cutting things down. I guess I'd rather be in that environment than an environment where there's no support. Um, but, you know, you, you learn pretty quick. That's, you know, that's somebody kid. And I think the other thing I would, I fact on that too, is I had kids a little bit later in life, just have, happened the way it work. I have two sons now. Um, when I had those, the, my two sons, it changed me as a coach too. Um, because I started to think about if my sons were in my program, what, what would I want that experience to look like? And I think we need to keep that in mind as coaches, in my opinion, and it, it can be tough, but you know, there, there's a person behind that helmet and that's somebody's kid. And, you know, I, 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 I'm not soft on kids here. Okay. We have extremely, we'll talk about leadership. We have extremely high expectations for our players, but it comes from a, a spot of love. I tell our players all the time, I, you steal all these lines, but the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. The minute I become indifferent about you, I don't really love you. And by me holding you high standards, I really have, I really care about you. That's how I might want my kids. I don't want them coddled. I don't want to be soft. I don't want to be enabled. I want really high standards for achievement for my sons in a program. And I think most good parents want that for their kids too. Um, and, and while you're holding those high standards, you know, treating them the right way and building trust, we're going to talk about trust and leadership, I think are an important part of that. So th those are just a couple of things, Dwayne, sorry to babble on, but there are a couple of things I took away from my experiences, you know, at, at being a, a high school assistant and a high school head coach. No, that, that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I know as, you know, Tim and I know this as well as you and a lot of our listeners as, as a high school coach, sometimes you wear a lot of different hats, right? And so it's that balance of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it was nice to hear that, you know, that's really truly where you found your passion was being a high school coach, I mean, for high school football. Yep. Yep. And I, I have a lot of respect for high school coaches, maybe because I've been in that shoe. Um, because like you said, Dwayne, I completely agree. Um, you know, you have to wear a lot of hats to have to do a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, I, you just, you can't, undercut and everybody wants to be competitive to win games but you can't undercut how important coaching is in regards to the development of kids <clears throat> I'll, I'll share a quick story we had a, a guy I was supposed to head in a senior year here at grand valley state that had two acl surgeries and just an unbelievable person okay been a big part of our program you know good player he was in my office yesterday balling uh on the floor balling because he's out here trying to you know get ready for the season he's like my body's not gonna allow me to do it and this guy's had two acls and those type of things and my level of appreciation, respect for what he put into this process was at an elite level. And, and 
I appreciate it. He, he expressed to me like, you guys have shaped me. Thank you for everything. I don't want to walk away from this experience. This is not, you know, all those type of things. I told him a couple of my assistants, I'm like, you know, that that's some things that people outside the profession don't see. Um, you know, they, it, it's a lot of wins and losses and a lot of those things. And, and, and I understand that. And I'm not shying away from that at all. But I really feel in that kid's case, we, we impacted him. And, and, and that, that's a part of this too. I mean, it has to be a part of this, man. Like it's, it's a little bit of servant leadership. Like you, those guys, have, those guys have got to be at the forefront of this thing. Otherwise, like, what are we doing? You know, like, what are we doing? And, uh, the, the best coaches, you know, the high school coaches are all in on those dudes. And it's not just about practices and the lifting sessions and, and, and the games and the competitions. You guys know, you know, you know, the best coaches take the time to try to get to know those players. And, and those are the guys like, you know, Tim and I play for Steve Miller. I mean, I'm in my mid forties. I don't forget that experience. I don't, and I won't uh, because of the leadership. And there, I don't even remember, like you guys, we talk about this all the time football. I, just, I don't remember some of the wins and stuff like that. But I remember the 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 relationships, and I, I think about that too. I mean, it should be a lifelong thing. So, yeah, it most certainly is. And and you know, I, I've said this all along. It, it, my experience with Cornell shaped me into who I am. Um, and obviously, you grow and build. But that was that was a basic foundation, you know, for where we go. Uh, and and so I've heard you talk a lot about building trust and and having some non negotiables um, in your program, toughness. Um, high standards. But what are some of those? What are some of those non-negotiables when 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 you address your team? Like this is who we are. This is who we are not. Right. Trust. Trust is is the cornerstone of everything at Grand Valley State. And again, I you know I I'm not afraid. I, I steal stuff from people. Um, you know I, I think Tim and Brian Kite. Um, I actually had some experiences with those guys and the Focus Three stuff. And we had a we had a, a connection with Ohio State when Tim Kite was doing stuff with Urban Meyer. And we started to, you know, that we, 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 we have in our building all the time, the trust triangle. And uh, for us, in order to, to build elite levels of trust, you need, there has to be three things you got to be great at. And I think about it all the time. I mean, one is character. Uh, me as a, me as the coach, like if I lied to one of my assistants, if I tried to jack around the scholarship of one of my players, if I was less than honest with my players, they shouldn't trust me. And I understand that. And at the same time, like I asked, I asked my people in my building to be high character people. And kids make mistakes. To me, a lot of times, Tim and Dwayne, it's not about the mistake; it's the reaction to the mistake, and and how, how do they handle that adversity, and what you know, what does that look like? Because they are going to make mistakes. High character people, you know, have some humility. They don't brush it off. They're not dismissive of mistakes, you know, and things. And so, you know, there, you might have a character flaw once in a while, but you have to be on a path to elite character to build trust. Um, you know, the second thing is connection, um, and and we've already talked about that, like. We have to spend the time to get to know these guys and 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 the relationships and and get to know them beyond just the player. And I'll be honest with you, being a head coach at a program like this with with a lot of things going on in terms of fundraising and media, those things, this is why, and if there's assistant coaches listening to this deal, assistant coaches are so critically important to the head coach, okay? And a lot of different reasons. It's not just about doing linebacker individual. You, you are an extension of, of that thing in regards to connecting and a connection piece. And um, I, I, I try to spend a lot of time connecting with our players, but it can be difficult for one man to connect on deep levels with 125 people. That's where my assistants are so critical. And then the last thing is competency. And, and we cannot ignore this, okay? We cannot ignore this. If it was just about character connection, I'd, I'd be running a charity organization, okay? I'm not, okay? I'm not. Okay, I, I'm I'm running a football program that has a lot of high expectations. So when I talk about the competence, how it flows to me, 
the assistant coaches and the players in the program got to look at me and say, that man has, has his stuff together. He's competent when it comes to strength and conditioning. He's competent when it comes to facilities. He's competent when it comes to offensive, defensive schemes, special teams, how we build our team, our team culture, how we travel. He's competent as a head coach. Okay. Players. Okay. And I tell them this, I'm honest with this. You got to be competent to stuff we're asking you to do. Okay. If I, I ask you to be five minutes on time to stuff, you, you got to be competent in that. If you play corner and we're playing cover three, well, you're asked to be in the deep third. Okay. If you're a three technique, you got to hold down the B gap. Okay. That's competency and that repeated competency and the things we're asking you to do. That's how we build trust in you. That's how we build trust in you. And, and it's trust. I'm speaking some of, you know, everybody's list probably knows it's, it, it is built over time and easily broken. And that's an important thing. And I think we're seeing that little society, you know, a little bit on society end, but you have to, you have to spend the time to try to build that trust. And so if I don't trust a kid because of one of the flaws in one of those three areas, and I don't think he's really working on it, I don't, I, there's not a path to continue to be in my program. Mm. And if the kid can't trust me, why would he want to play for me? Why would he want to play for me? I, I think a lot of times with you know coaches, well, that kid's you know he, I he's he, you know, I got to trust him. That kid's got to earn my trust, get him my trust. Well, you got to flip that script sometimes the other way, guys. Like. You know, you got to earn them guys trust. You know, you got to earn them guys trust too. And elite relationships, there's high levels of trust. And elite performing teams have high, high levels of trust. And so we spend we spend a lot of time on the trust thing. I mean, if I had to say there's one thing we spend a lot of time on, it's the trust thing, you know. And then the other thing is a book by Patrick Lencioni. He's a business writer. I really like his stuff. Um, he's got a book, Five Dysfunctions of Team. But the one I really like is called The Ideal Team Player. And it says that the people on teams have to have three characteristics. They got to be hungry. They want to have to get better attitude. You guys are, that's part of your podcast, you know, byline. They got to be humble and they got to be socially smart. And man, I would point to the socially smart thing, Dwayne and Tim, because I've had some cats on my team that either talked too much or didn't talk enough and never integrated into my team. I think if you're going to be socially intelligent and integrate yourself into a team atmosphere, you got to talk, but you also got to listen. And in recruiting, we ask all the time, are they socially smart? Are they hungry? Do they have a get better attitude? And do they show humility? Okay. And the other ends of humility are arrogance or lack of self-confidence. I don't like non-confident people. When, when some, like for me, humility is not, oh, shucks, I'm not very good. No, that's not humility. That's lack of confidence. Truly humble people, they have confidence in themselves and it manifests in the fact that they're willing to help others. They're willing to help other people. That's true confidence. They're helping other people's, but they're not arrogant where they think they're better than other people. And so those three things are really critical to me too, in regards to selecting the right type of people to try to bring in this organization and trying to illuminate that. And that has nothing to do with how good you are at the game of football. That's about team dynamics and group dynamics and how that goes. So being an ideal team player and building trust within those things those are foundations and fundamentals of, of over a course of time, what I've learned are really important to team dynamics. That was great coach. Um, can you talk about, you know, you, you're talking about leadership here and, and uh, we're going to dive deeper into that, but you know, before we dive deeper into that, I would like to know what your definition of leadership in your program looks like. Sure. I think it's, it's, it's a two phase thing. And right now what I'm doing is, I mean, it's tougher on zoom. Okay. But, we're selecting peer leadership for our 2020 season. I think this is really important. Okay. Um, 
peer-driven teams, peer-led teams achieve more than coach-led teams. And I'm not trying to get myself off the hook here with you two guys. Like I have a responsibility of leadership, but if I can develop some peer leadership, it can be impactful. Okay. So leadership has, has, you know, two responsibilities, build trust. Okay. And influence, influence, you know, influence to get the results that you want, the results you want. When I say results, I'm not talking about wins. Don't misconstrue me with that. Results are the beliefs and behaviors that you need in order to be successful, you know? So to, to lead, you got to build trust first. You got to build trust. You can't lead unless you build trust. Like I could prop a guy up here. If people don't trust him, it won't matter. I put out, you're on the leadership council. You're a captain, blah, blah, blah. If the kids don't trust that cat, it ain't going to work. So you have to start with building trust. And then this is what's hard for kids. Okay. It's easier for us as adults, but it's harder for kids is you got to, you got to step out and you, you have to influence people. And, and a lot of guys want to stay in their lane. You know, they want to stay in their lane. They don't want to get out and start influencing other people. To influence people, you know, you have, you have to have a great clarity and a vision of what, what you want. You have to hold people accountable. Okay, that, that's, that's part of it. Okay, influencing people is holding people accountable for the good stuff. You could be positive. Like, hey, it's awesome. That's in line. That's great. Awesome. That's not how we do things here. Okay, you got to call out the, the non-consistent behaviors in your program. And then you got to, you got to support people too. You know, so I talk about influence, influence is clearly setting your goals, being clear with your communication. Influence is holding people accountable to your vision of what you want, clarity of that accountability and supporting people. And I think you got to be great at both. I think you have to be great at, at building trust and you have to be an influencer. You have to be an influencer. And uh, I think it's easier for adults to do that to have hard conversations sometimes in kids, but man, we got to empower these dudes to be able to do that. And if they can get that done, I think in my opinion, that's a lifelong skill. Leadership is a lifelong skill that you can carry that to whatever profession that you get into. So I'm not afraid to try to teach some of those, those things right now. Well, and, and, and you speak to exactly what, you know, we're implementing in our school right here, you know, that whole vision squared thing from the Tim, Tim and Brian kite, you know, Here's the big vision, and and here's your vision, and here's how you embrace your role. So, how do how do you go out uh, envisioning um, and equipping your coaches uh, to go ahead and be those those unit leaders that I'm sure you talk about? Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. In a football program, I think that well, I know this there there's a team culture, but I also understand like when you talk about offense and defense, and again, we platoon here at college, okay? But when you talk about offense and defense, there's subcultures on offense and defense. It, they have to be aligned with the main culture, but they're subcultures. And then each of those position groups have to have their own culture. It has to be in line. But coaches, you know, there's diversity in, in regards to coaches and how they get done. And I think as a, as a leader, um, you, have, you have to embrace different styles of leadership. They're not all the same. Okay. I, I think our, our, you know, core beliefs of, you know, in regards to our beliefs and behaviors stay the same. But the way sometimes you deliver that and the accountability for that, that, that might be a little bit different, you know, as we go through that. So my, my deal with assistant coaches is, man, I, I want to hire great people. I want to hire great people that are aligned with me. Okay. We have similar philosophies, whether it's, you know, teaching, coaching, building men, stuff like that. I want to give them, I want to give them the resources. And I want to let them go to work. I want to let them go to work. Um, I don't micromanage my assistant coaches, man. Hire great people. Make sure they're philosophically aligned with you. Give them the resources. Let them get to work. I think that when that happens, Tim, when you can have some ownership in your product, you're way more invested, okay, in what that product looks like. If you're being told all the time, like, what drills to run, 
if you're being told that you know, everything all the time, it's not really your vision like you talked about. Okay, it's it's somebody else's vision, and I think it's it's harder to be all in. So you know, in regards to assistant coaches, you know that that's what happened. And again, like I'm going to be transparent. I don't have it all figured out. I mean, there there has been a time and then where I didn't renew the contract of a coach. Okay, and I look back on those moments. And, and what could I have done better as a leader of the program that it got to that point? And that was tough. You know, that, that, that was hard when you have somebody and you have to pull in your office and say, like, the way you feed your wife and kids is no longer going to be available. Um, and it, it was very difficult for me to, to do that. But I had to do that because it was necessary to protect the culture of the program. But I'm illuminating that because sometimes things like these sound sound all like roses, you know. And again, like we talked focus through podcast, stuff like that, like. It all sounds gold. It all sounds magical. You sprinkle the fairy dust on; it's all going to work. Being down in the you know the guts of the thing, like you know, the, there there's some trial and error and some things that happen in this learning and growth process. Being a lifelong learner, some of the things that you talk, you know, talking about, you know, you reflect back upon those moments where things didn't work out. You know, what could I have done? In in in, in that specific case, um, I I probably didn't. Uh, there were some things that were starting to pop up on my radar in regards to beliefs, behaviors, and I did not hold that person accountable to those quick enough. Mm. I, I saw some things and I did not hold that person accountable quick enough. And I, I stepped back and I thought, well, this is a grown ass man, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it kind of, it kind of got to the point where we, the, you know, the Jack was out of the box and it wasn't putting it back in, especially Tim and Dwayne lost the trust of the players. Okay, lost the trust of the players. Players didn't trust him anymore, and uh, you can't you can't fix that as a head coach. Um, you know, you, you you can't once once they don't trust that guy, you can't fix that. You know what I mean? And I should have been more proactive. I, I sat back a little bit too much in that specific situation. So, you know, I dovetailed off there in a little bit, but I mean, it's 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 important I think to understand when you go through these podcasts. Like, I'm a realist. You know, I'm a realist. Like some of these guys, you know, that talk, it, it all sounds awesome. Okay. But you know, there's, there's sometimes, sometimes where it, it don't go good. And I, I think those are your moments. And I'm sure you guys talk about that. Those are your moments of the biggest growth mm-hmm. is when, when, when things aren't going good, you learn more about yourself then, than when, you know, we're making the playoffs and making runs and stuff like shit, it's easy to be on a team when that's happening, man. When, when things aren't going good and things are going bad, that that's, 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 that's where you grow. That's where you learn about yourself. And like, it, they, it sucks. It stinks. It's uncomfortable, but you got to embrace it. You got to embrace it. You'll be better for it. Well, and I think you, you made a great point of saying, you know, how, you know, trust takes time to build, but, you know, once it's gone, it takes, it's even harder to build that back up. And it, I mean, kudos to you for recognizing that, uh, you know, the players didn't, and then, you know, real leaders don't shy away from difficult situations and difficult, difficult conversations to have with people. Uh, Tim and I have been in those situations before when you, when you have to, whether it's disciplining a, a coach or, you know, removing a coach kind of deal. And, and uh, one of the things that Tim and I have talked about is, you know, when you're looking at your structure of your program, no one is bigger than it, including us as head coaches. You know, I mean, if if we're going to talk about the culture and, and leadership of a program, you know, it starts with the head coach. And, uh, you know, I think that's a kudos to you, coach, for, you know, being willing to have those conversations and then also to, to being self reflective afterwards to say like, you know, what could I have done better in that situation? And something Tim and I have also talked about is things that you allow in your program and breed 
essentially will be, uh, you know, that will be your culture and in, inside your program. Right. And, and piggyback off that, I know you probably just quote, you know, your, your culture is the worst behavior permit, you mm -hmm. know, and, 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 and we got to keep that in mind all the time too. One thing I'll bring up to Dwayne that, you know, just sharing some of my scars, um, it was very difficult for me. I was an assistant coach on a staff with a bunch of guys, and I got promoted to be the head coach. I, I struggled with that the first few years um, because I'm down in there like you're an assistant. You're chopping it up. Sometimes you make fun of the head guy. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? You go out and you're like, oh, I got, you know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's, that's what assistants do. Like, I get it. I yep. was an assistant for a number of times. I had a hard time like as you said, step in that head coaching role. And now a bunch of dudes I've been coaching with for six years, you know, I'm now the leader of those guys. And exactly what you said, Dwayne, difficult conversations. I struggle with that with some of my peers, you know, that I, I had been rolling with as assistant coaches. So if there's some assistant coaches aspiring to be head coaches, I almost in a certain respect think, it, you know, it's easier maybe to go to another program and start it, you know. And sometimes when you take over for a head coach, be forewarned and I'll give you my email address and I'll share my scars on that process of being an assistant coach. And now you have to be the leader of some guys you just coached with for a few years. Not, not as easy as it sounds. Well, that's something that Tim and I have talked about just, you know, the, the role that players have, uh, you know, cause Tim and I have both been assistant coaches and now we're fortunate enough to be head coaches in our programs. But, um, you know, when uh, the relationship that players have with assistant coaches versus players have with head coaches, you know, it's, it's, you know, when you're an assistant coach, you're that, you know, we, and we talked about this with some other of our, our guests on here, you're like the cool uncle, you know, that, you know, you can crack it up with them and, and, you know, still have that, uh, you know, mentor relationship with them. But, you know, the, the head coach necessarily doesn't always get that relationship with the players because they're the dad, you know, they're the one who has to come in and, and kind of crack the whip when things, uh, you know, need to be straightened out. Yeah, no doubt. Completely agree with that sentiment. It's a different role. I think that's what we try to talk about in one of our, you know, meetings is like everybody's got a role, you know, and I have my role and it, it's, you know, a valuable role, but I'm not going to say it's any more valuable than anybody else's role. But, you know, we all have roles. We got to embrace our roles. And again, like I'm fortunate here, guys, like I used to be a defensive linebacker. I used to be the defensive coordinator. And as I took over as a head coach, I was the DC for a while and it got to be like too much. And I, I hired a great defensive coordinator. So now, I run the program. I do all the special teams, you know, but I'm in charge of that. I'll be honest with you, too. I miss being a D.C. Uh, I miss it. I miss calling defense. I, I miss game planning. I miss calling the whole thing. You know, it's I kind of feel like it's who I am. But the best thing for Grand Valley football, the players and coaches in here, is me to be excellent at the role I'm at. Even though I don't necessarily love the role I'm in, okay, I you know, in a certain extent, I love, I like the paycheck. But the, the, you know, that's that. And so I try to equate that to the players. Like I tried to make some sacrifices as a head coach. Okay. Um, to serve this team the best. And, you know, I'm attacking that role. I need you to do the same thing. And this is what you're talking about doing exactly. Like there's times, you know, you, you don't, you're not doing the press conference. You're not on the paper. Okay. The Des Moines register, stuff like that. But there's some, there's some nice things about being an assistant coach. You know, there's some nice things about being an assistant coach. And so some of your assistants always want to rise to the top. Okay, talk to some cats that have done it. Take a deep breath, you know, because your role is going to change. And that's what you're talking about. You are going to change. And you better be ready for that change and be able to adapt to that change. And so coaching isn't just a lateral thing. Like, you know, going from an assistant to a coordinator to a head coach, that changes 
a lot. And I'm not just talking about schemes, man. I'm talking about rules and leadership and all that stuff. Better be ready to embrace it because there are, there's going to be some change. Well, and that's it's funny you say that because you know I've had conversations with Tim myself and like man maybe it'd be better just to be a an OG, <laughs> you know instead yeah. of instead yep. of the head guy and you know and uh, look I'm not saying that I don't like criticism or anything like that because I think it does help you identify areas that you can grow in but it, it's crazy how different uh, that seat how hotter that seat can be you know just a little six inches to the left or right kind of deal <laughs> yeah, right when, when you're yeah. the, from assistant to a head coach. Yeah. And one thing I'd add on, you know, and the, the time's a factor here, but the best assistants appreciate that, you know, the best assistants appreciate the seat that you're in. And I've always said, you know, if who knows what my future is going to hold, if I were to ever be an assistant coach again, I'd be a hell of an assistant coach. <laughs> I tell you that, like, yeah. I'd be a killer yeah. assistant coach because man, I, I know, like, I know what that man needs. I I've been there. I know exactly Amen. what his cat needs. You know what I mean? Well, and so, yeah. I got Ray Riesland on my staff and he's going into his fifth year. And you talk about it, got it's, you know, a noticer and an influencer for me. You know, he's, he, he's that guy. He's been there, done that. And Hey, here's something you need to think about coming down the pipes. Hey, this is something you got to be aware of. And, and you got to have somebody that's willing to call you out on some of the things that maybe you, you're not doing. And, uh, and I really appreciate that. Um, when we come back from break, we're going to talk with coach Mitchell about the things that he's doing right now in his program to build leadership and to make his players um, aware and um, more helpful in a situation that we're all struggling with. Okay, welcome back. Uh, Coach Mitchell, you've been at the forefront with your program as we talked before we got on this podcast about dealing with your players um, in this in this really crisis situation, not even the COVID stuff, but the George Floyd situation, the race, racial tensions that are going on. We would love to hear the things that you're doing and empowering your players uh, of all races uh, to be better members of, of your program and what your staff is doing. Yeah. So, I mean, I think when th there's always been, you know, I, I don't think, you know, racism, discrimination are, are new things, but I, I do think what's happened is because of some incidents uh, that kind of, um, you know, happened in, in quick succession, uh, things, the powder kid kind of got ignited <clears throat> and, you know, I'll be transparent to you guys. I was kind of sitting on my back deck, um, you know, watching CNN and seeing this stuff and man, it was tough to watch. And then here at Grand Rapids, you know, where we're at second largest city in the state on Friday night, we, we had some rioting. I mean, literally 10 miles probably from my house <clears throat> and I'm trying to watch this. And so, I guess, you know, Tim and Duane, I felt like initially I did need to make a statement, but I knew that wasn't going to be enough. Um, there has to be some action plans. So really thought about a lot over the weekend, um, you know, and and I, I, I just the four things I, I shared with our team and I'm trying to share with them, like, you know, we get back together and it's COVID-19. It's tough. It's tough for me. I'm a I'm a meeting meeting in person guy. You know, I've been doing more FaceTime and stuff like that. But man, that's face to face contacts. high roll. But, you know, I, I, the four things I want to try to do, and I think we are doing some of this right now, is like, one, uh, in our program, I want to have um, a very inclusive environment, a very inclusive culture. Um, you know, again, to talk about a line we kind of stole from the Focus 3, like, you can be you, um, but you got to be aligned with us. And the alignment here is that we're going to be accepting a different types of people. And, um, you know, right now, that, that would include different backgrounds, you know, um, but there's also some different things in regards to religious views, um, socioeconomic. There's a lot of things. And, hey, the three of us all know it. Most people listen to like football is awesome that way. You know, we're united mm -hmm. in a passion for the sport. And a lot of those things, you know, are 
wash away in those moments. But I have to make sure that we have a culture. We have an awesome facility down here. When my black players walk in the door, they got to be super comfortable here and this got to be home. And they, they got to know that that type of atmosphere. So that's one. Okay. Two. And this may be, um, may at this time, I think maybe sound contradictory, but hang in there with me. I need to hold all of our players and especially our black players to really high expectations right now. Okay. And, and here's the reason why I, you know, I talked about the office of the love is not hate. It's indifference. Um, this play in high school and college football uh, can shape them and put them on a path between discipline and beliefs and behaviors and education uh, to positively change their lives. Okay. Positively change their lives and positively change the, their families' lives. And positively, if they choose to, when, when they get careers, go back and influence their communities. And so I've been very honest with the guys, like, I'm going to hold you to really high expectations when I'm back with you about academic performance, character, on-field performance. I'm going to have really, really high expectations for you because I want you to succeed. I want you to succeed. And I know that by holding those high expectations, if you follow that path, you will succeed. So I think there's a tendency sometimes like, you know, sympathy. I'm not really into the sympathy. I'm into the empathy. Okay. And, and being empathetic of what they're going through. But I'm not going to soften, okay, I'm not going to soften our culture or soften our approach in these times, even though these are difficult times. And I, I, I think if I did, and this is something, you know, I think maybe to think about, if I were to soften the standards or soften the expectations here because of what we're going through, what would that say about the expectations I had previously? That they, they, they were, you know, far my friends, probably bullshit. Hmm. No, this is the time when you have to, my opinion, like crank it up and, and and the players will recognize that and they will know that and they'll appreciate that. Okay. Third thing is um, got to surround them with great mentors, assistant coaches. We've talked about that guys. And I have to be, I hire great coaches at Grand Valley. I just went through this process. I hire great coaches at Grand Valley, but if I can find an opportunity to hire a great coach that has a different background, a different perspective, that is really critical. And, and that's even before this stuff hit. Like, I, I'm a guy that has a little bit more passion, a little bit more edge. You know, I wear it on my sleeve. That's how I walk around. If I had six prototypes of me in terms of personality, I don't know that I'd be meeting the needs of my team all the time. Okay. It, it's okay to be an assistant coach that's introspective. And maybe this is what Ray is to you, Tim. Introspective, back there, relationship, has a lot of one-on-one conversations. That isn't the guy that's the passionate guy that's out there all the time running around. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We, we don't we don't need seven guys running around practice field with their hair on fire. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, so the same thing in, in regards to diversity. Okay. I'm white. Um, Colorado, Iowa. Okay. Michigan don't have some of the same experience as other guys do. And, I, you know, I have three African-Americans on my, my staff that are awesome. We have people in our athletic department that form relationships with those guys. I need to, I need to make sure there's exposure to those different types of people, you know? And I think part of that too, is I'm going to make a concerted effort to try to do more community service in, in, in communities of color in areas that are not as good. I, I think that we can, we can maybe positively influence those, those areas because even getting back to you guys, the COVID-19 virus, the COVID-19 virus has hit communities of color more than, than white communities because lack of resources in those communities, lack of resources. So Maybe we can go in and do something to do some good. And then maybe part of that process too, I can take some guys to go in some of those communities that aren't the great and think like, yeah, they don't, you know, this, this is not easy and have a little bit more empathy for the situation those people are in. And the first thing I want to do, and you know, this is, is what it is, but 
I think a lot of times, like right now, uh, my my black black players in my program, any interactions with law enforcement, they're I knew I knew this before this this incident, uh, Dwayne and Tim, but I know it for sure now. They're very uneasy about these interactions. Extremely uneasy about interactions. It's my responsibility, I think, as a leader, and 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 we have done in the past. What we've done in the past is I have a defense attorney that I know, and she's awesome, and she's a former prosecutor. She would come in and talk to our team about, hey, you know. Here's here's some things in regards to if you do this, this is what you're looking at. And these and when it got into, you know, also some personal rights and my players appreciated that. Mm. Well, not only want to do that, I want to bring in some awesome law enforcement to my team. You know, some some high character people that are using great police practices, because I think our players are seeing right now on TV, either low character law enforcement or bad police policies and practices on full display. And, you know, it's it's, it's like anything. There, there's so many people in law enforcement, they're doing some awesome things. It gets overshadowed by that one incident. And, and, and it parallels the discussions the three of us have had regarding trust. Like you can build it all up and it's gone. Yeah. And, and, and so they're seeing, you know, some bad stuff in regards to law enforcement on CNN and TV and, and social media. And I've encouraged our guys to stay off social media. You know, I, I think social media is extremely toxic right now, personally. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that are happening, images that they're seeing in regards to that. So they're seeing images of those stuff. I Man, I, I want to swing the pendulum the other way. And we got, you know, county police that we're in, our GBPD, our deal. Like, I, I know we've got some awesome people in law enforcement. Bring them in, build that connection piece. And then I'm, I'm being straight up serious. Like, tell us what a good traffic stop looks like. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell us what it looks like when you go to a guy's door and knock on the door, what your expectations are for law enforcement. Okay. And to piggyback off that, and to get in detail, but for you guys involved in these decisions, what is your frame of mind when you enter that interaction? And, okay, and this may be a little bit more college thing and high school thing, but are you intoxicated? Is there other stuff going on that may impair or influence your judgment in that moment too? You know, and I think that gets back to, you know, character and beliefs and behaviors, things like that. So like, again, for me, one culture, you asked you know, four things, culture, culture, culture in our program high, high expectations. Okay. High expectations, great mentors. And then I am going to bring in a piece in regards to what awesome law enforcement looks like, because it's really tough right now. Like I'll be honest with, you know, you two guys too. It's like, it it, it would be hard. I got two kids. It would be hard right now to say, Hey, you guys should get into criminal justice and law enforcement. that's, That's tough right now. You know what I mean? But at the same time, we need awesome people in law enforcement. Yeah, you know, we, we we need leadership. We need elite leadership in those areas. So I'm not going to run away from it. We're going to go headstrong into it <clears throat> and do that. So those are some of the things you know um, that we're talking about, Tim, with with our team and and the the law enforcement thing is stuff that I'm feeling with my my demographic, my roster. I can feel it. You know, I can feel it. And so I'm going to try to address and do the best I can. So so, Coach, when you mentioned a word that you you try to be, and I think it's important because I think. It, it can go a long ways and that's trying to be empathic with your players. Um, but have you ever, do you struggle with, and I, and maybe you never even thought about it until more recent events kind of deal, but you know, you said a large number of your players are African-American young males. I mean, yeah. um, yeah, I know I would struggle with, you know, especially since I grew up in, in the Midwest in a small Iowa town that, you know, had, one Latino family in it, you know, so I was around mostly 
white people my whole life until I went to college and my college roommate was African-American from the inner city of Chicago. Um, but you and I will never, and Tim will never know what it's like to be a young African-American male in the United States. So do you ever, do you struggle with that ever? Or do, have you struggled with it prior to this? And, and how are you trying to be more uh, cognizant of it? Yeah, no, it's, it's an awesome point. Again, my, you know, my path we talked about, I, mean, I grew up in a farming white community in, in, in Colorado. I mean, the, the teams that, you know, that I played on in the state of Iowa and, you know, not no disrespect, but they, they did not have a lot of diversity, you know, and then I headed out to Michigan and, and yeah, I was, you know, it was, it, it was different for me. And I guess, you know, the thing I talk, I think about a little bit, Dwayne is like, when I entered Grand Valley state, that was a shock to me. I wouldn't say shock, but it was different. You know, it, it, it was, it was different to me in terms of the number of minorities. And, um, I dug in and I listened and learned and started to, you know, do different type of people. And so now I, you know, you think about the flip side, maybe an African-American kid heading into one of those environments. I almost feel like I haven't lived in their shoes, but I, I went through a culture shock a little bit too, you know, and what that looked like. And I think looking back upon that, I just was authentic was myself. I didn't try to be somebody I wasn't. And I think a lot of times, you know, sometimes there's coaches that when they want to try to build relationships with people that aren't like them, they try to morph themselves and change themselves. I think in my opinion, like doing that's the worst thing you can do, man. Like yeah. be yourself, show empathy and get to know people. The minute you start like trying to act a different way and be a different person, that's when you're disingenuous. And that's where that character thing is in play. They don't trust you, you know? So I would say right now, like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm white. I have not lived that experience at all, but I do lean back on my 16 years of Grand Valley state home visits, um, parents coach a lot of African-American males. I enter these situations right now um, with confidence, with confidence because of, because of my previous experiences. And I'm not, I'm not shying away from things. You know, I'm not pulling back in these moments because I'm scared to make a mistake. Um, I have confidence in myself because of my previous experiences that I'm in a position to help this. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be afraid of saying the wrong things. Like I've told my team, like, these are interesting times in regards to words, you know, really interesting times in regards to words. And, you know, you could put something on social media that could, could misconstrued like that. <clears throat> but my guys know me in our building. They know my actions. They, they they know our culture, my actions. They know me. If I fumble on my words in a Zoom interview or, or Zoom call with my team or, or a deal, I think I get some latitude in those moments because of that built jump trust. Does that make sense? And so yeah. the, the difference um, between what is said publicly and what is said within these team walls, I'm, I'm, it is way more authentic in me with my players and coaches than what I would put on my Twitter account because I know my audience in my, in my team room. And they know that if I happen to say something, maybe stumble it up, they know who I am. And, and people on social media, they, they don't know who I am. It's a Twitter account. They don't know who I am. And there's sharks in the waters looking to prey upon stuff. So, you know, making statements and things like that, I, you know, I think those are important in the position I'm in. But a lot of times on social media, fellas, I'm a little bit less is more because, you know, people can take your stuff and, and they, they, can, they can run with it. And that's, that's what's unfortunate sometimes about that platform. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, though, coach, because I, I tell my players all the time, 
uh, you know, and I even show them tweets from college coaches. I said that, you know, things that you like or retweet on social media, whether you put it out there or not, you're endorsing it by liking it or retweeting it. So there, that is a reflection of your character. So, you know, I tell them all the time, I mean, less is better. Sometimes you don't have to share every single thought in the world with, you know, your social media account or Instagram or Twitter or whatever it may be. Um, you know, and I, I think you're right on, on that. Yeah. And I would tell you this as a college coach, I've, I think in the past, you know, three, four years, we, we've dropped a couple kids because of, um, you know, we had an offer to and recruit and we stopped because of, like you said, you know, doing the stuff they're like and retweet. And, and it, and it mean, wasn't even necessarily sometimes about the content. It was more like, man, you get really poor judgment. <clears throat> like, I, I, I don't, I don't know if I can fix that, you know, and yeah. uh, maybe, maybe it's better if you're not, you know, in my program, because man, if you're doing that, you know, the consequences of that, you're just going to blaze and straight ahead and keep, keep hitting that button you know, may, maybe you're not very, you know, smart. Well, Dwayne and I have, have, have talked about really, you know, going back to your, your definition of leadership as, as really someone that provides hope. And, and I think that's what you're trying to do for your program. You're, you're giving guys an opportunity. It's not going to be easy because everything is going to be earned. And, mm -hmm. and I think in today's world, there is no better time. You mentioned football being so great, but just the locker room in general, of, of any really sports arena. There's nothing like it. And, and you know, I've, I've played with every type of uh, person, you know, under the sun. And, you know, quite honestly, when you're on the field, I, I've ne I, it's never crossed my mind. And maybe that's just me being naive in terms of who I am. And um, But a teammate is a teammate, and you love somebody because of, of who they are, uh, not necessarily because of the color of their skin. And I think that's the great – joy in, in what we get to do in terms of coaching young men and, and having that time in the locker room to build those bonds and build that trust that you've spent so much time talking on here tonight, coach. Um, the locker room is sacred and, and it's vital uh, for guys to feel okay. You mentioned the, the intimate environment that you have, stuff that you're never going to share you know, with anybody because it's, it's part of what makes your culture so unique and so great. Yeah, no doubt. I, I completely agree with your sentiments. I think Team sports and football is awesome. And football, I almost kind of feel like football is the last team sport. No offense to any other coaches listening, but, you know, when you get LeBron James that can back it down, the other four guys don't matter. And you get a starting pitcher out there throwing heat, the other guys don't matter. Mike, we are all in football dependent on each other. Yes. We're all dependent on each other. And, um, you know, I tell kids, all receivers all the time, if you got the highlight clip where it's just you against 11 guys on defense, shoot it to me. Um, I'd, like, I'd like to see you out there by yourself, okay? Like, Bro, somebody had to deliver the ball to you and, and protect that guy, you know, and like in and, and, and there is no end of even on defense, like, you know, you play secondary, it helps to have a great D line, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, and so I think that the interdependency, the roles, a lot of stuff we're talking about and the leadership and then the unification of passion for, you know, the game. A shared can't goal. Be, yeah, shared goal can't be understated. And I think that nationally, I, I, we don't, we don't have that shared passion or identity, you know, and I, that's why I do think times have changed. I mean, I think, you know, back when we had some conflicts and some wars and stuff like that, there was American pride mm -hmm. and there was that unification for our country because of those things. And, um, we, we have that, we have that in football and we should hold really tight to it. And I would tell you this, and I'm not just trying to tell you this because you're high school coaches, but 
in Chicago and, you know, Michigan and stuff like that, there's, there's more and more stuff popping up at workout joints and seven on seven squads and things like that. And I don't like it. Um, you know, I, I think football should be school centered and that's, uh, Ohio. It's really important at the high school level and you get great leadership because the people are hired to be head football coaches at schools are, are vetted to be educators mm-hmm. and are all in things. Guys that are hired to run seven on seven teams. Nah, nah. So we need to keep high school football school centric because the people that work at high schools are still in it for education. And, um, I, I've been banging that drum and I will continue to bang that drum. Um, and I can tell the difference of players that come out of programs that have that because they hit the ground running a lot quicker versus guys that are working these different, you know, this, my trainer, this trainer, I'm heading over here to do this team and all this other stuff. It takes a little bit longer to integrate in terms of culture because they haven't had that same foundation of stuff, you know, Dwayne, you and Tim are talking about. And I would say that to anybody, not just there. And maybe that's because I'm biased as a head high school coach at one point in time, but there's definitely um, people need to recognize that and parents need to appreciate it too. Well, I appreciate you saying that because, uh, you know, here in central Iowa, you know, largest city in the state of Iowa here in Des Moines. Sorry, Tim. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's starting to pop up, you know, these seven on seven teams and, and clubs and stuff like that more and more. And, and uh, just, uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to, to bash those guys that run those things, but that just doesn't sit easy with me kind of deal. It just, uh, you know, I've always said that, uh, you know, kids, if you want to go out and do a couple camps during the summer, I encourage you to do that, but you don't need to go on this big circuit to, you know, to go to six or seven, eight different camps, you know, go to a couple of them, uh, but you're going to get more out of participating in our program with our kids and doing what we're going to do uh, more than you're going to do. You're going to get than spending 60, 70 bucks a pop to go to these, you know, uh, prospect camps. Hey man, to piggyback off that, I've seen it. I've seen it multiple times, hundreds of times. Guys going to camps and trying to chase stuff that they shouldn't go to, um, and they get blown out in the summer and have bad summer, bad senior years because they're all blown out, and they don't get the offers they probably should. They're criminally get because their senior tape's not good because they kept trying to go to a bunch of FBS camps they had no business going to because they, you know, they, you know, they weren't going to get an offer by going to that camp. So. If, if you want to go to camp for recruiting, set a small target and go to the ones that are actually talking to you. Um, you know, these guys that go to some of these bigger camps, it's like they're going to Vegas trying to hit the, you know, five cent freaking slot machine. You know, go to the camps recruiting you, be selective, hang out with your damn teammates in the summer, man. Like, hang out with those guys. And then rest and recovery are still an important part of this process. And coaches know that way better than camp guys running camps, you know, and, and put yourself in a position to have a great senior. Most college recruiters, it's still about 11 on 11 padded football. Well, yeah, I think, I think you speak to something that Dwayne and I have talked a lot about, and that's, you know, the relationship between high school coaches and college coaches and, and also the pursuit uh, during the recruiting process. I have a lot of kids who say, Hey, I want to go here. I want to go here. And I'll say, are they talking to you? You know, I always say, go where the, go where the fruit is right. growing. You know, if someone's interested in you, then, and they're t- taking an interest in you, then you need to pursue that and it, don't, don't chase a, a, an empty trail. Right. Completely agree. And a lot of times for me too, like I played D3 football, damn proud of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Shape me to who I am right now. Um, go to the level where the people are recruiting you. And, and here's part of the reason for that, you know, and I'm sure you guys would agree with this being high school coaches and, and your experiences, like 
the only reason I went to Cornell because Ray Riesland was was writing me notes and Steve Miller and stuff. When I got there, they knew who I was and they cared about me. You know, so if you got some D three coaches hitting you up, well, when you get there, they're going to care for you. You know, and I've seen too many times guys walk on and just like, you know, people that's like coaches like us. If I invest the time, and in my case, a scholarship, but if I invest the time in the recruiting process, well, when you show up, I'm going to be all in on you. You know, I'm going to be all in on you. So perhaps the level that you should end up playing would be the one that you get the most heavily recruited at. Mm -hmm. That's the one that you probably should end up playing. And I would argue 99 times out of 100, that'll be the level you have the best experience. That'll be lovely. You have the best experience. I get it, guy. I get it. I get it in recruiting. You know, the, the, the whole thing about want to put something on Twitter, you know, and, and, and doing that, but man, have enough self-confidence in selecting something that's the best thing for you. Because after your senior year, when you decide where you go, nobody cares. I'm being real with you. Like nobody cares. I tell guys all the time, like once you sign your letter of intent, nobody cares. You know, there's nobody on, on Twitter saying, oh, this guy went to a 6 a.m. lifting session, looked good at the 6 a.m. lifting session. There's nobody doing that on Twitter. So you're going to, you, you know, your ass going to be in that 6 a.m. session. So you might want to care about that more than number of likes and retweets you get. And it's tough. I get it. Um, it's tough because there's still kids and they're trying to seek acceptance from peers and things like that. And that's, that's a way to potentially do it. But that's where I think we need great, you know, get full circle leadership in those kids' lives. Like, Honest conversations, like Dwayne was talking about, honest conversations from coaches and things like that. Difficult conversations about recruiting and some parents that are involved in the process. I, I get it's so hard for me to recruit kids that have no parents or no guidance. Really, really difficult. So, yeah. <clears throat> so, Coach, one of the questions that I felt was really uh, important to ask, and you know, obviously, you've been a head coach and you've been in coaching for a while uh, in general. But um, if you looked at your first year at GV as head coach to now has your program evolved since that first year uh, looking back at it that first year or has it is it still pretty close to that that first year how I would say that yeah how that's that's an awesome question um you know I think there's some some core things that have that have remained in place you know and uh some of our core values and core beliefs have have remained in place I think the 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 leadership the vision of leadership and team culture has definitely evolved and changed um you know and um i i am of the mindset that um there had you know kids do change and there has been some evolution and i think you need to you know keep up with that uh you know being being real with you guys like um guys that we recruit in our team they are very much relationship driven um, you know, they, they, they want, they want relationships in their life. They want leadership. They want cultures and things like that. You know, I first got here, you know, I, I don't know that we spent as much time <clears throat> on some of those connection pieces outside the building. And I don't know that we needed to, you know, I don't know that we needed to. And so, um, you know, I think we spent way more time. We spent way more time in, in, in the recruiting piece and in the piece in the building of, of, be in relationship, uh, more investment in relationships, more investment in getting to know the people and stuff. And because a lot, a lot of the construct previously when I got here was just, it, it was a lot of football related things. You know, we had our core values in football, but was, you know, every, every meeting was about football. Everything was about football. It was football, football, football. And I'm not never there. We spent a lot of time with football, but we spent a lot of time on other things too with our team. And I think our players value that. And I think they respect us and trust us more as coaches because we're able to 
you know, do some stuff in, in other areas of their life besides just football, football, football. Well, and I think the thing that you have going for you, Coach, is you have a tradition. You have an excellence tradition, but everything is process-oriented. So I think they can see that in, you know, if it's five years that they're there, they get a redshirt year, they see mm-hmm. where they started, where they finish, and who they became in that process. And and then ultimately, where do they go after that? That's that's what it is. That's what it's all about. And, and you've alluded to that. But that's hard to see when you get there, you know, because you got yeah. those blinders on. You're like, man, I got to be the starting defensive back, and this is all it sure. is. I'm not getting a look. Yep. Um, yep. But when you can sit back and look at it, you know, that's that's – the process is the joy, but that's, it's hard to look at it at times. Yeah, no doubt. I would agree. And, and, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's, that sometimes can be difficult as a coach too, because I think getting back what you're saying, Tim, I think because of Twitter and short bursts of information, things like that, I think there's more, more immediate gratification, um, than, you know, maybe even when I was here, like Dwayne 10 years ago, I think sometimes you got guys walking in the door, like they knew they're probably going to be redshirted and we're looking at a five-year deal. You know, we, we, we do get some kids like, you know, I, I, w- I want the returns now. You know, I want the returns right now. <clears throat> and some, you know, some, some education and some beliefs and behaviors about committing to be the best version of yourself, that growth mindset, that path to being there. Like, we have to spend a lot of time educating on that and trying to get them to understand that, like, if you're focused on that, good things will occur. You know, when they're going to occur, that timetable, I can't predict that, but I, I, I can... I, I can get you on this path and things typically work out with you have a growth mindset, but they're, they're very much result based and um, you have to spend a lot of time making sure they're process based and have a growth, you know, a growth long-term view on things. And uh, that can be a little bit more difficult at times. So just, uh, you know, as we kind of wind it down here, um, yeah, I, I actually, from an outsider's perspective, am really impressed with uh that Cornell college football program <laughs> in the sense of, well, and no, I'll, no kidding here in the sense, I mean, you have coach Bolte yourself, uh, coach Tressel uh, that was on, on these teams. And then a, a multitude of co- uh, high school coaches here in Iowa that have come from that program as well. So uh, it's almost kind of like the, a pretty historical, you know, coaching tree that coach Miller and coach Riesland were a part of that helped, you know, help grow the sport. So it's impressive. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate you saying that. I think it again goes back to like, we had, we had a lot of high character people and I, and I think that we, you know, we, we did have some good mentors that modeled awesome, you know, awesome behaviors and beliefs and things like that. And, you know, we were attracted to that and that influenced us. And then I think there's a little bit of a, you know, cyclical, little bit of a cyclical thing that you're part you like i had a great experience i had an awesome experience i want to be involved in that yeah you know i want to be involved in that like i i i want to be involved in that i i had a hard time when i was done playing you know and and for a lot of guys that are in coaching it's a way to be a part of something bigger than yourself and that's really what football is for me it's like i know i'm the head coach of this program but man i love coming into staff meetings and team meetings and being on practice field and being with a group of people um, I'm, I'm just not an independent person. I'm not an account. And that, that, you know, was part of it. And I think that's something, you know, that we, we had, you know, Tim probably talked to me and you, you talked about those guys doing, we had positive experiences. Yes. Those positive experiences shaped us, you know, and shaped us to where we kind of are. So that's what I want for my players. I had an awesome experience. I want to try to see if I can form that and shape that for them. And, and, and they can look back and say, Hey, you know what? Those four or five years learned a lot about myself. It was awesome. It helped shape me. There's something about that. And really, that's a credit to 
coach coach miller carrying on his legacy that he he established there for you and you're trying to establish that in your program and your players um but the bigger question that i had for you for you coach is were you uh the teammate that told tim to down it at the three yard line or was that someone else and i mean i just want to get clarification on that yeah well and i don't i get shit all the time i yeah I, I I maybe remember that. I'll be honest with you, Dwayne. There's a lot a lot of stuff I don't remember about my four years at Cornell. Now that that may be because of you know too many beers at Joe's Nighthawk. I don't know, but um, there you know that that may have may not have occurred. So there's a lot of things that probably should stay in Mount Vernon that don't follow, um. don't follow me out to Allendale too. But I don't know that I'm a lot different than most guys in regards to that. So. Well, coach, as we as as we as we finish up here, we always like to hear what what our uh, guests and coaches are reading and what they recommend, you know, for leadership, growth mindset stuff. I'm sure you're a, you're a, you're a well read. Yeah, I got a book. Um, the film doesn't lie by Jimmy Dykes, um, and that's what I'm kind of getting into right now. I'm just kind of starting to get into it. I do like to read. I think that um, you know it's been a little bit tough because this this COVID thing has really. Um, you know, it'd be, it, 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 it maintaining these relationships in, in this environment has, has, it's good, but it's been time intensive, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, staying connected with people in this environment is been tough. the flip side is I've had way more time with my, with my family mm-hmm. and um, I've had way more time with family and guys, I've gotten better at technology too. So those are two upsides, but I probably haven't done as much because, you know, there's a lot of stuff I have to do. So. Well, that's a great book, uh, Mitch. It is an absolute joy to catch up with you, man. It's I thank so much for for sharing your knowledge with us today. I, I I've got two pages of notes. I've you know, Dwayne and I say this every time. It, it doesn't get any, it doesn't get any better than the guy we just had on. And man, you absolutely slayed it. And uh, you know, it's it's just great to see you. It's great to finally see you in person and talk and and hear how you've grown, brother. And uh, yeah, proud, proud I appreciate that. It's good to see you again too. And. I appreciate you guys having me on. So I, I need to stay in touch with you guys more too. So thanks for this opportunity. Hey, you bet. And for all of you listening out there, uh, let's keep chasing life, leadership, and uh, pursuit of greatness in all we do. Have a great night. Thanks again for checking out our podcast today and sticking around to the end. Dwayne Mathis and I are so grateful that you decided to stop by. Just a reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on any platform that you use to listen in. Apple, Google, Spotify, you name it, we're on it. If you have any questions, please be sure to send us an email at lifeleadpg at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners, about topics you want to hear regarding leadership. Also check out our YouTube channel. We post videos every Sunday and recap the podcast that we had the previous week. Great opportunity to get a quick hit of what we're talking about. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so you don't miss an opportunity to get better as a leader. And as always, let's keep chasing life, leadership, and pursuit of greatness in everything that we do. Have a great night.